Welcome to The Breakdown with Dr. Earl, a mental health podcast. This is Dr. Earl Turner, a licensed psychologist and psychology professor in Los Angeles. Just a few disclaimers. The Breakdown podcast is not intended to replace working with a licensed mental health professional. The podcast is only intended to provide educational information and discuss psychology as it applies to your daily life. Welcome to The Breakdown. This is Dr. Earl. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of The Breakdown with Dr. Earl. On today's episode, we are discussing sports and mental health. I'm excited to have a special guest joining me soon. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to share a little bit about the impact of sports and mental health. So as most of you know, Over the last couple of years, many professional athletic associations have been discussing more around mental health awareness, and we've seen several players that have disclosed their own mental health, which has resulted in both the NBA, NFL, and other professional leagues requiring that there are mental health um, professionals on staff for these teams. So why is that important? Well, I published this article a couple of years ago in the Encyclopedia of Sports and Exercise Psychology. And one of the things that I noted is that if we look at the research on the relationship between sports and mental health, we see that approximately one in five athletes experience symptoms that may be consistent with a diagnosis of depression. We also know that from the research that when athletes experience an injury, that that also has an impact on not only their performance and their recovery process, but if they have these injuries, it also puts them at a higher risk of reporting mental health challenges such as depression or even anxiety. And we can talk about a number of issues related to sports and mental health, which our guest is going to discuss in a little bit. But I think this is important because I'm really wondering how has athletes discussing their own mental health challenges really changed perceptions in the community? So if you're listening to the episode and you want to let us know, um, send me a message on Instagram at The Breakdown with Dr. Earl, or you can email me at The Breakdown with Dr. Earl at gmail.com and let me know, has your opinion about using therapy changed? Are you more open to going to counseling or therapy because professional athletes are expressing that this is something that they also seek in terms of their overall wellness and mental health? I think that this is important that we're having this conversation. So joining me in a second will be Dr. Keno Miller. He is an assistant professor at the Florida State University College of Medicine. He specializes in sports and performance psychology with an interest in fostering black resilience. Dr. Miller is a graduate of Indiana University's counseling psychology program, and he is currently licensed in the state of Louisiana in the state of Florida. 
This episode was brought to you by Turner Psychological and Consulting Services. We offer workshops and trainings for the public and professional audiences on mental health awareness and diversity and inclusion. We also offer consultation for expert witness testimony. For booking, contact info at DrErlingerTurner.com. Welcome to The Breakdown. This is Dr. Earl. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Breakdown with Dr. Earl. I am excited to have a special guest join me today to talk about sports and mental health, um, Dr. Keno Miller. He is an assistant professor at the Florida State University College of Medicine. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Keno. Hey, happy to be here. Look forward to the dialogue. Absolutely. So, you know, we met a couple of years ago um, through a conference, and mm-hmm. it's been great to sort of reconnect and, and have you on the show to, to share a little bit more um, about your expertise. So I appreciate you taking this time to be able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, today, as you know, we're going to be talking about sports and mental health. But before we sort of dive into that conversation, I always like to um, hear a little bit more about your background so that the audience know, you know, who we're speaking with. So tell us what you would like to share about your experience. Yeah, um, well, what I generally share is um, native Texan. Um, got all the Texas swagger that you can imagine. <laughs> um, Matt, I started out, long story short, and I'll try to be succinct. Uh, I started out uh, with a strong interest in psychological warfare. As a kid, I played with G.I. Joes. Um, those were my favorite toys. And I thought, you know what? Wow, this is really cool being able to change how people perceive themselves or perceive their condition um, in such a stressful situation. And I let that go. Um, had a brief career as a student athlete. Um, retired too early at the tender age of 20 and didn't get it out of me. Um, started working out with young men, training them um, until they got to ninth grade. And we started talking about things beyond sport, right? Um, Girls, college, drugs, um, things like that. And so a buddy of mine, we started talking about, you know, how do we really support these young men in our community? How do we really give them an opportunity and to see college as an opportunity, college as a gateway out, sport as a gateway out, but also um, make sure that they're good um, when they go in and kind of have the pressures of college forced upon them. Mm-hmm. So uh, finished my undergrad, started out at Florida a University, you know, had a great experience there, um, really shaped me. Um, and so coming back to Tallahassee is more like a homecoming. Uh, currently teach there in abnormal psychology in the Department of Psychology. It's kind of cool. But from that experience, uh, I was encouraged to pursue psychology at the doctoral level. And I told my professor, I said, if I pursue psychology, it's going to be a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. Heavily influenced by the work of Dr. Harry Edwards um, and his life and legacy. And I wanted to make a difference like that, continue to make a difference um, with young men, as well as professional athletes, um, and really use sport as a platform, but go beyond not just what they do on the field, but also off the field. So that's been my work. That's been my passion. Um, I did my doctoral work at Indiana University in Bloomington, um, matriculated there, did my internship at OU. Um, there is only one OU. <laughs> uh, did my postdoc at NC State uh, there in Raleigh. And um, Tulane University worked at the Center for Sport there downtown Tulane. Um, really get an opportunity, really understand at that particular stop 
um, not only current athletes, but also retired athletes mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that impact their lives and have continued to work um, with those men and their families uh, since then. So my work right now, I have a private practice similar on counseling and sports psychology, and I use that space to work with those men still, as well as individuals who are uh, presenting with issues of anxiety, depression, and things of that nature. So uh, I love where I'm at right now. I have a hat in uh, multiple arenas, teaching, uh, my clinical work, uh, continue to do advocacy and work and support young athletes um, throughout the country, really. Perfect. No, thank you for sharing all of that. You know, this conversation for me really sparked from some of my um, work with one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Bill Parham, who is the um, director of the mental health and wellness program for the NBA. And so I've been doing this podcast talking about issues related to boys and men. And oftentimes, like specifically for black boys, like sports is one of those things that oftentimes is talked about, but that's not something that everyone engages in. And for men that are in sports, like there are other challenges that they face. And so I think for me, with the N NBA having this initiative a couple of years ago uh, was really, I thought helpful because it provided them support to talk about other stuff besides sports. And we'll talk more you know, about that in a little bit, but I'm really um, you know, curious to, to get into that conversation with you about your work as a sports psychologist and also for the audience to let them know you know, what is sports psychology? Obviously, like a lot of stuff can sort of go into that. But yeah. for us that are not um, trained as sports psychologists, um, can you share with us, like, what is what is sports psychology from your perspective? Absolutely. Uh, and so I, I I have a duality there. I'm, I often say <laughs> I'm trained as a counseling in sports psychology. But before I even got to IU, my foundation was as a black psychologist, meaning I was intrigued by issues impacting those who identify as black or of African descent, um, really un understanding that worldview, that perspective. And so while I saw <laughs> black men on college campuses, right, typically about mm, there were about four percent of black men uh, on college campuses, give or take on average or less. And right around that athletic department, you see one percent, two percent huddled up. So for me, really understanding that worldview. So going backwards, counseling, black psychologists, sports psychologists, um, it is really understanding the, the application of psychological principles as they apply to performance and as they apply to high performance, really helping athletes work through any issue that may impact their ability to perform at an optimal level on that day. Um, that could be rehabilitation, coming back from injury related issues. That could be academic issues if they're student athlete. Um, that could be interpersonal issues that are impacting their ability to perform. Could be relational with the coach. Um, for young athletes, it could be stress associated with um, academia or college uh, sponsorship or college scholarships. Anything that's going to impact their ability to perform on that day falls under the purview of issues impacting um, performance, but at the same time, hold on, their ability to thrive and excel at a very, very high level. Hmm. Most people think these young people can, at the drop of a hat, roll out of bed and boom, 
No, it takes psychological conditioning, just like it's physical condition. You train your body in addition to you train your mind. So the things that go into that um, resilience training, what we call mental toughness, being able to relax, more mindfulness training, issues impacting um, anxiety, you know, being able to quiet those. And on that day and in that moment, perform at your highest ability. And so you take that as for sports psychology or psychology or being psychologically minded around performance. And it's really about how do you quiet everything in your life and for this particular moment, focus and center and focus on what you've been trained to do. And then when your life comes back into play, be able to use some of those same skills to manage all of the challenges off the field, off the court. And so sports psychologists would help is more of a holistic well-being would help that athlete be able to navigate transition, maybe transition in and transition out of sport in addition to all of the things that impact them while they're performing that sport. I hope I did that a uh, little justice there. Um, yeah. Well, for I'll, me, I'll, as I'll, who, who, who does, who's not a sports psychologist, so. <laughs> but it, um, it I really love all of those things, man. Perfect. Thank you for that um, sort of helpful frame to really understand, like, what is the connection between, like, sort of understanding the dynamics of, like, performance, which I think for a lot of people who may not um, have an awareness about sort of sports psychology, the performance aspect may be what they sort of go to in terms of thinking about the primary role of them. But the other piece that you mentioned that I thought was really great was about this issue of thriving and sort of how do you thrive in the midst of of this of the the game but also once you're off the quarter off the field and being able to sort of thrive in your individual um lives and so that's something that i really love about sort of at least what the nba is doing obviously the nfl has also instituted some programs in the last couple of years as well but i think trying to really help the players overall in their lives in terms of mental wellness and not just focus focusing in on that sort of uh, performance piece which yeah. we oftentimes think about for people who are not in the field. Yeah, I always use it, optimal health and well-being. And for me, I can snatch and pull into that world a whole lot of different things. But let me add this one piece here, going from my, my orientation here. When you have 60, maybe 60%, and in some instances, 70 or more percent of African-American men participating in revenue generating sports, intercollegiate athletics and professional athletic. It's really interesting to understand how black identity impacts them, their, how they see themselves as mm. student athletes and as professional athletes. We've seen that since Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And really for me, since Trayvon, right? We've seen the awakening and the problemization of blackness while maintaining this burnt orange or maintaining this garnet and gold, right? And what does it mean to be a black athlete in some of these premier institutions? We've seen that um, become a topic of discussion on the NBA court, on the WNBA court. And now also, in addition, on the NFL field, they're having to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So with the orientation I, I present, I'm able to come into a room or in a setting with black men and be able to own the fact that we know you're going to uh, produce and you, we know you are going to perform at a very high level, 
but I want you to understand who you are when you walk off the field and when you go home to your families. And oh, by the way, when you drive in this million dollar neighborhood in this $200,000 vehicle, there are some realities that typically folks thought they could escape. You mm-hmm. can't move out of white supremacy or institutional institutionalized racism. You can't move outside of that. That's global. And so now we're having to bring that additional aspect into being. And I think that's critical because now we understand optimal health and well-being, who you are, how you see yourself, how you engage in the world, being authentic, being present and owning your blackness. Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's those are really powerful comments. And I sort of recall um, I, I did some consultation work. Um, or I did a a panel discussion, I'll say, to be specific, uh, with the NFL last summer around all of the racial injustice that was occurring and some of the points that you sort of highlighted about the players. You can't sort of step outside of your Blackness, regardless of where you are in sort of this ladder of socioeconomic status. And so those things are going to impact you emotionally, which then in turn can't impact you in terms of your performance. Um, in the game. And so all of those things are really important. And I'm glad that you sort of brought that up. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more for, you know, for me starting this podcast, I have a lot of males listen. I have a lot of mothers of sons that listen to the podcast. And sometimes people want to know, like, how do, how do you, how did you get to your journey? And I know you talked a little bit about um, sort of your educational background, um, but I'm wondering for those that are not familiar about how to get into sports psychology, like, um, how does that work? Like, are there doctoral <laughs> programs, for example, that like train people to be sports psychologists or is it that you become like a counseling psychologist and then get some training in sports psychology? Yeah, and it varies. Um, in, the, in the world of athletics, what I would say for students who are interested in the profession, find someone who's doing it. Um, there are folks who are doing this work in multiple levels. Um, here in the state of Florida, I work with um, students at the high school level. And so the state state of Florida High School Athletic Association has access to us and my colleagues. Um, but beyond just finding someone, when you go to college or when you uh, look for majors, you know, typically around kinesiology, around um, counseling or human services, human development, um, athletic training, um, there is someone who's familiar with mental health in the world that is implicit in athletics now. Um, there are programs that focus on athletic counseling um, who offer a master's level degree. And you have to be trained at a, at least a master's level to be able to engage with student athletes or professional athletes at this level. Um, there is a certification. You can pursue a CMPC certified mental uh, performance coach, uh, consultant, sorry about that, folks. Um, And so that you can obtain after achieving a master's degree. Um, If you go on and train as a psychologist, that's going to require a doctoral level uh, degree. And there are a number of different programs. Indiana University is only one uh, program. Um, West Virginia University has a program. Um, Missouri, University of Missouri, Columbia still has a program. the folks out of Denver, um, they have a wonderful program that trains um, clinicians at a master's level and they have a doctoral counseling program. Um, the folks up at, um, I know I'm forgetting someone, Boston University trains uh, sports psychologists. 
Um, so there are a number of different programs around the country. All of them just aren't populating right here. University of Tennessee has a program. So the goal is to find someone who's doing the work. If you are interested in the field, um, go and find um, maybe an athletic team, find out who is doing performance work with them, who provides mental health or psychological services for them. And really, you know, really think about vetting um, that, not vetting, but listening to their experience and then vetting, you know, other programs and options and choices. But for those who are interested in the field, obviously, you know, I majored in social psychology. So I would say when you get to college, it's really helpful, but it's not necessary to major in a psychological uh, major. Um, maybe minor in it. So you begin to kind of understand some of the language um, around mental health and then look around the country. But there are professional organizations. ASP is one of them, as well as uh, Division 47 at the APA. Um, so you can definitely check into those and get more resources if you're interested in sports psychology. Perfect. Thank you for that. I was actually thinking of Division 47 when you were speaking, because I know they host this um, marathon every year at AP convention, which I haven't been able to do because I'm always booked with sessions that I have to go to early in the morning. Um, but this is really helpful that you sort of mentioned those things about just sort of making connections with people who are doing the work that you want to do. And that's something that I, um, you know, talk about with students is that, you know, sometimes it's just an email. Obviously, with conferences, you can be able to ask people and make those, you know, connections as well. But do that and ask questions of people. And most people are fairly open about sharing at least information about how you can find out more about those particular career paths um, that you may be interested in. Absolutely. And you got to be hungry. You uh, and I forgot one program, but I'm going to mention it. Um, I graduated on a Friday and Monday. I was at the University of North Texas talking to them about their psychology pro sports psychology program, sports psychology masters and PhD program. University of North Texas, in my view, has one of the brighter programs in terms of being able to be trained as a psychologist, counseling psychologist, and as a sports psychologist um, in terms of being able to understand the applied side as well as the theoretical and practical side. So I was there Monday morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with a suit and tie on talking to them about their program. So you have to be really invested in trying to learn about, okay, how do I get this training and experience? And, you know, like I said, two days after I graduated with my undergraduate degree, I was there. I was ready. Um, and it just kind of takes that tenacity. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you for that. Um, I want to transition a little bit to talk a little bit more about um, mental health in sports. And, you know, one of the conversations for me has always been around how is um, celebrity status, athletes, even social media, shifting conversations around uh, mental health and around stigma. And so we've seen, I think Kevin Love may have been one of the first NBA players to sort of talk about uh, mental health publicly. And we've seen several others over the years um, talk about it. And I think an issue, um, or there was a conversation around Delonte West and sort of his mental health a couple of years ago that was sort of publicized in not the best light in terms of how they were um, showing what, what he was experiencing. Um, as of that, as a result of that, um, but I'm just sort of curious in your thoughts about how has professional athletes specifically um, allowed the Black community to really begin to have more conversations around mental health and even reducing stigma. Yeah, 
I think it's been huge. It's been critical, actually. Um, we recognize, well, I recognize, and, and I don't want to pull anybody else into this, there's a high levels of stigma of the medical field in the black community. There's a high level stigma of anything that's perceived to be is not authentic or not black enough. I'll, I'll say it in those terms. And so mental health fell underneath that. You know, oh, I'm not going to do that. I ain't talking to nobody. I ain't telling nobody my problems. You know, I go talk to my fill in the blank, my friends, my mother, my pastor, my, you know, professor. You know, when I was at an institution, I won't name it. The student athletes were told to go talk to the assistant coaches um, or the strength and conditioning coach. Right. That was a pseudotherapist for any problem under the sun. Right. And so the impact for professional athletes talking about the use of mental health services has been huge. It's been normalizing to the point to where institutions, um, whether they be um, colleges or professional athletic teams are now having opportunities and conversations about investing in and expanding mental health services. And so I think when we talk about Brandon Marshall is a wonderful example um, who champions mental health, particularly to his friends and colleagues in the NFL. And there are others. We begin to kind of think about how do we sit down and have a really rich dialogue and conversation and build support systems and platforms for these men, right? We want to make sure, though, that as the stigma is removed, we continue to train and have competent professionals who are there. And so oftentimes where it was assistant coach or just somebody who would come around the team or some guy who was a leadership uh, expert or someone who, you know, seemed to get them. Um, those were, you know, kind of the beginnings of having some level of support, um, health and wellness. It's starting to be formalized. And we're really looking at those who have the training as a mental health professional, culturally competent to really be in these spaces and do the work. And as this training is formalized and as these positions begin to be really um, valued by the players, we wanna make sure that it stays authentic. We wanna make sure that the players see us as not a barrier, but an outlet. And so it's been huge and, and I think it's growing and I think the opportunities with professional teams are going to continue um, as long as we provide good work. Yeah, you touched on a couple of things that I wanted to sort of go back to or elaborate on. Mm -hmm. um, one of those was about at least college athletes being encouraged to, let's say, go talk to the strength and conditioning coach or the other coach um, of mm -hmm. the team when they're struggling with, the, with those things. Um, and it just sort of sparked me as interesting because for most universities, they have a college counseling center that is a great opportunity for athletes to receive, you know, services. And so from your perspective, if you can share, I mean, do you know why that was the sort of the go-to in terms of having the coaches be that support as opposed to um, a counselor, a therapist? Yeah. Yeah, I think the perception is, and I think it may be honest, um, they don't look like me, therefore they don't know what I'm going through. And in some instances, that may be true. But your coach isn't trained in crisis management. 
your coach isn't trained in risk assessment. Your coach isn't trained to deal with some of the nuances of anxiety. You know, I've heard coaches offer great advice to those who've come to them. And I've heard coaches struggle with things like eating disorder. Mm. Um, I've heard coaches struggle with things like depression. You know, that can't be simplified. And so sometimes it's not a one, one fix, one option, one solution, right? So it's good to know your resources across campus. It's better, in my opinion, to embed those resources. Mm. I'm a strong and staunch advocate for embedded mental health services in athletic departments. Why? Because just as they're familiar with the coaches, now they'll become more familiar with myself as a clinically trained, licensed individual um, who can maybe speak their language because of my life experiences, but also I'm trained to be able to address any or most, I hope, uh, situation that they may present. And so I think that the counseling center does their perception of it's on the other side of campus and they don't know what we're doing over here, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there may or may not be some validity to being culturally competent. And when I say that, I mean the culture of sport as well as anything else uh, that may present itself. Yeah, I'm glad you added that that last piece about sort of how does cultural competency apply to sports psychology? Uh, mm-hmm. Because that was, that was gonna be my next question. Um, because I think, you know, one of the things that we know from at least psychology, and I've talked about this before, that it's not many of us. I think it's about 4% of psychologists um, that are Black African-American. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you look at master's level um, therapists and counselors, there, there may be a little bit higher number. I think it may be around 6 to 10%, but um, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that uh, for those that are listening. Yeah. Um, but I think the interesting piece that you added was that counselors who are working with athletes, it's helpful if they have some understanding about sports because that may help with the player who is the client in that situation to connect with them. And we know how important like that therapeutic rapport and relationship is mm-hmm. to the treatment process. So um, I, I appreciate you bringing that up in terms of, of what cultural competency looks like when you're, when you're in sports psychology. No, absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, I've seen faculty members come across campus to talk to athletes because there wasn't that insight awareness or investment in the mental health services. And so just as you said, what's wrong with the counseling center? They, they move in that maneuver all the way around the counseling center and just bringing a straight faculty member. So, you know, different um, programs, and I'm going to use that broadly, be they professional or intercollegiate, um, they have their own perception of what's needed. Um, and when student athletes begin to advocate for what they want and what they feel like it should look like, um, I think uh, administrators um, would do a great service in listening to them and help them and, and let them be a part of shaping what support services look like, be they academic or mental health or nutrition, strength and conditioning or whatever the case may be. So as we begin to wrap up uh, with the show, I wanted to touch on one more thing, and that is when we talk about all of these things that are going on in the broader society, uh, particularly thinking about, you know, systemic racism, racial injustice, police brutality, the list can go on and on. Um, how does this impact the performance of athletes? And you can come at it from whatever direction that you want to go. 
but it sort of makes me recall um, last year around the time of Kobe's death that mm-hmm. I I had a hard time watching the game because I feel like they were putting athletes in a real tough position to try to perform when they may have still been grieving. And so I'm really curious about your thoughts about all of these sort of larger issues and how it might impact uh, performance. Oh, it's definitely present. I mean, you're already talking about people who have to balance um, the student side of it or the life of a family um, outside of sport. Um, You know, being a parent is a very um, present thing when you're talking about professional athletes or adults, right? And now you add in, you know, icons um, who have transitioned untimely. Um, you add in social injustice, um, issues where they may have their own opinions. Those opinions may differ from their teammates. You add in uh, a discussion about kneeling and you add in what is meet, what is supposed to um, bring attention to an awareness and how that got skewed. And we're really thinking about it from a perspective of how do I present my authentic self and perform at a very high level? And how do I remove my humanity and go and perform? Because A, I love it and it supports my family, but also it's part of my identity too. How do you navigate multiple identities, not only during the week, but also on game day? Mm-hmm. It raises anxiety. It causes people to think a little bit longer about decisions that usually maybe take a split decision. Now, once you get into it, you know, muscle memory, just like anything else, you know, you perform at a very high level. But sometimes these things are in the back of the brain. Mm-hmm. These are in the back of the mind. Really quickly, I had an in- interaction with a student athlete who muffed three punts in a game and it wasn't his typical position um, punt return, but the reality, uh, I think he was trying to showcase himself for the NFL. And at the end of the game, coach gets at the podium and says, well, his daughter was sick. Okay. Who was working with him all week while his daughter was sick? Mm. It's not about at all costs. We must perform. It is at all costs, how do we help you be present in life, which will allow you to perform? So if we're dealing with these things daily, if we're dealing with these things systemically in an informed way, this will allow you to feel healthy in other areas of your life and then go and perform when it's time. Healthy people make excellent athletes. Now, I've changed that statement to say excellent athletes because I want people to understand that healthy people can do exceedingly impossible things. And so the goal simply is help them manage the anxiety, manage the pressure of being um, the one, manage the pressure of being outspoken, social media, we talked about that earlier. And then still be able to have the capacity to perform at a higher level, be the best in the world. So all of these things that are present in our society only add to the anxiety, only add to the um, the ability to 
You got to take your hat off to those who performed well in the NBA bubble last year. Mm. And I agree. That championship right there should stand out amongst all, you know, for LeBron and his teammates, because man, the distractions, the inability, I don't think the man saw his family for the whole playoffs. So we live in a world where it's going to require a great deal of flexibility, but at the same time, like I said, increase the anxiety, increases everything else, the noise, and to perform at a very high level, you have to become very resilient and you have to practice and you have to train that. Just like you train the brain, you train the body. They're the same. Yeah. It's intentional. So you have to be intentional about creating resources and creating outlets that are healthy that will allow you to step away for a few hours while all of those other things are going on. Absolutely. No, I, that that's a nice summary to sort of end up the episode in terms of thinking about healthy people can do extraordinary things. And I didn't probably didn't quote you word for word, but I really like that statement because I think for all of us to really think about what we're dealing with in society right now, specifically as black people, that you do need to recognize your mental health. And I think that that's something that I've been very intentional about given the work that I do, um, not just you know from teaching perspective, but as someone who is doing work as a media psychologist, that for me to have to be on and talk about police brutality, when I've witnessed some of these things or experienced them myself, not yeah. to that extent, obviously, because I walked away from it, but to have those conversations and, and to continue to recognize parents that are talking about their the loss of their kids is mm-hmm. a lot for me as a Black person. And so I have to make sure I take care of myself so that I can be able to perform, to, to be on television. And so I think those are really important things that we have to sort of recognize that we do need that time. And that for most of us, like we don't have flexibility and opportunities to disconnect the discharge. We still have to go to work and we still have to interact with people who we may not want to interact with. Yeah. I'm glad that you sort of brought that up. Yeah. A compassion fatigue is real and you gotta, you gotta have a circle. You gotta have a circle of folks who are there with you and who can take that journey and take that ride with you. So man, we have to, the healers have to have healers and a community of healers to return to. So I salute you. No, and I'm very, thankful and grateful for my circle who checks on me and, and, and who uh, is there to sort of lighten the load mm-hmm. when it comes to this work in terms of like talking with the media about these difficult topics that we have to discuss as, as people, because if we don't talk about it, nothing is ever going to change. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I've got to recharge and go and do the work that we are required and we've, we've come to do. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you again for taking the time to talk with me. And before we wrap up the episode, I do want to give you an opportunity to let the audience know where they can learn more about your work. And if you're in um, Florida or Louisiana, you know, maybe they want to reach out to you for some counseling services. So if you can, you know, let us know that information, I will also share that in the show notes for people to, to get in contact with you. Absolutely. And, you know, I consult, um, actually, I consult worldwide. Um, and so website is just Dr. Keno Miller. Uh, D-R-K-E-I-N-O-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. Um, Instagram, the worldwide gram <laughs> is just simply Dr. Keno Miller. Um, you can find me there, a sports psychologist. 
Um, and YouTube, I've got some content up there, um, Dr. Keno Miller. And so try to make it simple in terms of the branding, but at the same time, wanting people to have the opportunity to reach out and uh, share thoughts, or if I could you know, be a source of support, or if I can point you in the right direction in terms of resources, happy to do it. Others have done it for me, so it's not a hard thing to share and uplift those others. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us today for the breakdown with Dr. Earl. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite platform and let's talk to you next week on the breakdown with Dr. Earl. Thanks for joining me for the breakdown, a mental health podcast. And remember, you set your mindset. Be well and tune in for the next episode of the breakdown with Dr. Earl.